Good morning. Uh, I'm happy to be with you today to share God's Word. Everybody's been asking me, well, how do you feel about it? How are you doing? And, and I said, uh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay. And then my son unexpectedly showed up. And I started crying like a baby. Because I know he was in Greenville, Alabama at a wedding last night. And I know how much he likes to sleep. And so... I didn't really expect to see him here, so it was a, it's a great pleasure. Also, my daughter is here, and, and her husband, and, I, and my wife, who's been out of town most of the last couple of months with a, a new, new grandbaby and a, and, a, and a mother who had her hip broken. She's with us today, too, so my cup overflows. Um, but I wanted to explain for, the, for them, because they could see me crying, what, what, <laughs> what, what happened this morning. What does love have to do with it? That's the name of our, uh, my sermon this morning, and, it, and I think it's the Christian imperative. Love has everything to do with the way that we live. And we're going to look at God's love, obstacles to loving God, God's promises to us, and why it's so important that we get it right. Uh, let, let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that you uh, will be with us right now. Your Holy Spirit will come in and reign among us, that you will teach us the very things that we need to, uh, to know to love you with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and to love other folks the way you loved us. So we pray that you would come and be here now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, turn in your uh, Bible. We've got two readings. Uh, they're very familiar to you. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, and Galatians 5, uh, 5 and 6. It's our scripture reading this morning. Uh, Matthew 27, 37 through 40. Jesus replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Uh, Galatians 5 and 6. Fourth. Uh, through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So these verses clearly show to us the Christian imperative of loving God first and loving our neighbor as Christ loved us. So in, in thinking about this, I first looked at what God's love is, because I think we have to have an understanding of that. First, man doesn't have any concept of love at all without God. God is love. God, is in the very nature of God, is love. Uh, and it has characteristics that include being eternal. God's love began before the beginning and lasts until after the ending. It is forever. God's love is self-sustaining which when we talk about our love towards God, we find out it is not self-sustaining. God's love is transforming. God took you when you were a sinner, full of sin, 
headed down a pathway of damnation and hell and destruction and turned your focus to the things of God. God's love transforms. It creates a new creature in Christ. You don't have it without God's love. God's love is healing. All of your sins, from the time you're born to the time you die, have been forgiven. You are healed if you appropriate God's love in your life. You are forgiven. You are healed. God's love, through the blood of Jesus Christ, reconciles us to him. You have no way to communicate with God unless you are reconciled through the blood of Christ. When you sit at the judgment throne, God sees the perfect person of Christ sitting in your place for all of the sins that you've committed from the beginning to the end. He sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. And through that, we now have a platform to talk to God. Otherwise, we have no way of communicating with God unless we accept the unmerited favor and grace of God. God's love gives us life. If the wages of sin is death and damnation and hell, then God's love is life. And that's what's weird about it. God says, I don't want to just give you life. I want to give you abundant life. But it's in the things of Christ. It's not in the things of the world. It's in the things of God. God wants you to live. Do you believe that the way God wants you to live is the best way for you? That's the question. All right? Uh, God's love is perfect. When I, when I did this sermon, I said humans don't really have a way to define perfection. And then Thursday, I've been playing golf since I was 12 years old. I, hit a, I made a hole in one, okay? <laughs> and that six iron was perfect. I mean, it, went, it didn't even bounce. It went right into the hole, okay? I mean, so uh, God's love is perfect. But what that means for us is it heals us and allows us to be the people that God's called us to be. God planned for you before the beginning of time. He called you unto himself to do things for Christ. He, 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 he did it perfectly, okay? That's a hard concept to understand because we, don't, we are not perfect in any way, shape, or form. So when we look at the characteristics of God, we see that God's love for us is radical, okay? Because we have the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of everything in the world, loves you, okay? That, to me, that's a radical concept. It's unconditional. There is nothing, listen to me, there is nothing you can do that's going to cause God to love you any more than he loves you. His love is perfect. You can't earn your way to any favor with God. God loves you perfectly, unconditionally. There is nothing you can do to earn God's favor. God's love is sacrificial. That is, Jesus, at the, at the throne of grace, he's, he's in heaven. He came down in the form of a man at the request of God. He humiliated himself. He humbled himself. He lived a perfect, sinless life as a man uh, and was killed for it. All right. His blood has been shed sacrificially so that you might have life. So God's love is radical, unconditional, and sacrificial. And all this stuff I'm telling you, you know. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. 
And, but we would think, with the knowledge of that, that loving God would be easy. It should be easy to reciprocate God's love. But what I have found in my own life, and, and what I see in the world today, is that loving God is hard. Okay, Loving God is hard. And there are obstacles to loving God. And I want to share with you some of the things that I have looked at. And it really started uh, with the fall, with Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, let's remember that Adam and Eve are in perfect relationship with each other. They're in perfect harmony with God. They have every need of theirs is met. There's nothing they don't lack or have. It's perfection. It's paradise. And yet, in the, in the nature of man, man is not satisfied. We are not satisfied. And if only I had something else, in this case, it's the fruit. If I had something else, then my life would be complete. My life would be full. And so we know the story. The fruit is eaten, and, and Satan comes into the world. Sin comes into the world. Remember, before the eating of the fruit, Adam and Eve were not able to sin. They were completely not able to sin, and yet they still ate of the fruit. What does that tell me about human nature? It tells me that man will do anything and risk everything to satisfy himself. That's who we are. That's our nature. That's in us. That's in our DNA. And so... If that's how we are, if, if, if we're about ourself, then it's going to be an obstacle to loving God. All right? uh, so what do we do with that? Uh, I think God's word is very clear. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear heal their land humble themselves and pray so we're called to get in our prayer closets and really see what kind of sin we're dealing with and then we have to go and we have to confess our sin we have to repent of our sins we have to forsake our sin and when I think about that I think of um, Mother Teresa because here is a woman that was virtually a saint what they would hear when she was having her devotional time with God was her weeping over the sins that she was committing um, in the face of doing all the work that she was doing. So God calls us to have to be brokenhearted about our sin. You know, and I have to confess to you, I am not, <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm not there. But I think in order for me to love God the way God calls me to, for me to risk anything for somebody else, I, I have to deal with my sin. I think you have to deal with your sin in a powerful way. Second uh, uh, Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So we have to have this brokenheartedness about our own sin in order to love God more fully and completely and to know know God better. The other point I would like to say is, you know, God sort of plays a trick on us a little bit. He says, I want you to love other people like yourself. Uh, 
my hypothesis here is I will risk anything or everything, I will do anything to satisfy myself. What are we risking for God? Okay? So I've been sort of pondering this idea of the cost of discipleship. I read a book by Bob Goff, uh, Love Does, wildly successful attorney, great family, doing crazy things for the kingdom. At the end of the book, he gives you his phone number and says, call me. So I called him several times. I would always get a message. So I, I said, well, I will, I'll write him. And so I emailed him and I said, Bob, what has Jesus, following Jesus, cost you? Uh, I get a, back, a, a reply very quickly. He says, um, sorry, I can't talk. I'm in Iraq. Uh, probably not what it's going to. Okay. Bob's doing it. Bob's in Iraq promoting the kingdom of God. I'm over here struggling with what the cost of discipleship is. You see, there's something about action, uh, risking things for God that grows us closer to God and allows us to love him more. Uh, the second thing I would like to say is, uh, is related to uh, our obstacles to loving God are idols and appearances. And uh, I get this from Luke 18, 18, 18 through 23, and it, it's the story of the rich young ruler. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, and Jesus talks with him about his life, and the rich young ruler says, Hey, I have kept the commandments since my youth. Uh, I, have, I know the word. I'm, um, I want to know what to do to inherit eternal life. So he's asking a very important question. What do I have to do? Jesus sums it up and says, Hey, all you have to do is sell everything you own, and follow me. So, he, what did the rich young ruler do? He walked away, okay? The wealth that he had accumulated and maintained was more important to him than his relationship with God. And so we have idols, right? And we have uh, things that we create, that we are willing to invest our time, energy, and effort to maintain and keep that block our ability to love God. We can't do it if we have idols. And they can be, any, anything can be an idol. It, it's man-created. And if you want to know what they are, you probably all you have to do is ask your spouse. <laughs> She'll probably tell you what are you investing your time, energy, and effort in that's blocking your relationship with God. It's preventing you from loving him with all of your heart, mind, and soul. Uh, the other thing I would say about this is appearances can be deceiving. The rich young ruler had the appearance of being godly. I believe that it is much easier to appear to be godly than it is to love God. Uh, John MacArthur said, uh, you may not be a Christian if you're visibly moral. He said, you may not be a Christian if you go to church. You may not be a Christian if you teach Sunday school or an elder or a pastor, you might not be a Christian if you have knowledge of the Bible. And you may not be a Christian if you proclaim to be one. Uh, because what John was getting at there is this is a love relationship. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, follow me. It's out of that relationship from the inside out that he transforms you into a new creature in Christ. 
You can do all those things that I said, that John MacArthur said, without loving God. You don't have to love God and go to church. I mean, that's the possibility exists. So God's calling us, I think, to examine ourselves and see, am I a lover of God or am I setting up appearances for appearances sake. Ezekiel 14.6 says, Therefore, say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all of your detestable practices. So God is calling us to examine our lives, see if we do have idols, and to get rid of them. The third obstacle to loving God, I think, is culture. Because culture is telling us a lie. Okay? Culture is basically telling you, I want you to get your satisfaction, your security, and your hope in the material world in, in which we live in. I want you to get wrapped up in that, and I want you to succeed and achieve, and I want you to spend all of your time and attention in pursuing what you know is real. Uh, because you deserve to be happy. Uh, we deserve it to please yourself. Uh, that is the nature of the world. And what's really sad about the world is the world says, I want you to love in a way that satisfies yourself. I don't want you to love radically, unconditionally, and love um, sacrificially. I want you to love in, in a way that pleases you. Okay? So if, if we're trapped by the things of the world, if we are... Uh, pursuing the things of the world, then we are going to take on the customs and traditions of the world. Jesus clearly said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. John 18, 36. Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not of it. He calls us to detach ourselves. And again, when I look at my life, it, it's, it's not a pretty picture because I have lived for so long in the world to, to achieve position, standing, and success, to, to get the strokes that the world has to give you. And we all like to be stroked. There's no question about it. We like to be successful. Um, the fourth thing is uh, if you start loving God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and if you love others by risking something, you know, Dan said a couple of weeks ago, Christian love is giving people what they need most when they deserve it least at great personal cost. Okay? If we love like that, then guess what happens? Satan is going to attack you. Satan is going to make your life miserable. Uh, so I don't have a real answer for that except to say that's the truth, and you have to be on guard for Satan when you start pursuing God, and having this love relationship. Ephesians 6.12 tells us clearly that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of, the, of, the, of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay? So we know Satan is there and will attack us. So those are what I would say real obstacles to... Uh, fulfilling God's commandment to us that we love him with all of our heart, mind, and soul and love others as Christ loved us. So what's the answer? Well, 
Always, Jesus is the answer. Jesus and God will prevail and have prevailed. Okay? Uh, I think the answer, uh, if I had to say two things, two things. One, people say that Christians are stingy with their money. I say Christians are stingy with their time. Okay? 10% of your day, are you willing to spend 2.4 hours with God every day? I'm, te- I- I'm here to tell you, if you spend time with God, your life is going to change. God- God's love is transforming. But now, he ain't going to change you if you don't spend any time with him. And I told my friend Rollo a couple of years ago, I said, I'm going to spend more time with God. He's, and, of course, he's, his response was, well, sure you will, now that the time's changed and it gets dark at 4 o'clock. <laughs> he says, that's going to be easy. And, and that, but that says something about us. I'm, I'm willing to spend time with God as long as I don't have anything better. See, God's saying, no, this is the best thing you can do. This is the best thing to have the most abundant life you can do is spend time with me. Okay? 2.4 hours seems like a lot. The other thing I would say is uh, I was in a father-son Bible study group, and it was, might, might be the best Christian thing I've ever been a part of. And one of the guys in there was Mike Honeycutt, a pastor at Southwood Church. And we were trying to teach our kids how to have a quiet time. And Mike said, I don't ever get up from my quiet time until I have an encounter with God. You know, my jaw sort of dropped and said, well, my goodness, that takes a long time, doesn't it? <laughs> You know, because what I had been doing is I'd been going in and having, you know, uh, reading the scripture. I'd been praying. But my purpose there wasn't necessarily to engage God. Okay. God wants to meet with us. And so what Mike told us that was very interesting, he says, "Eh, sometimes it takes time for me to have an encounter with God. But it's because I don't I'm not right to have an encounter with God. Sometimes it takes me some time to be able to be in the right place to be able to engage and encounter God. And he says, but you know what? God wants to meet with you. God wants to be with you. God wants to change your life. God wants you. And if you go to see God, God's going to show up. God's going to be there. So those are two things, time and engagement with God, that I think would help us uh, be able to uh, love God the way he's called us to do it. And we see this in uh, John 15, 1 through 5. And I'm just going to read verse 4. Remain in me as I re- also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I said earlier, God, God's love for us is self-sustaining. Our love for God is not. So if you think about it, if you're a scuba diver, you have your oxygen and you're underwater, everything's fine as long as you have the oxygen. Now, when you become disengaged, unengaged with God, guess what happens? You die. I'm not here to tell you, if you don't stay engaged with God, culture's going to kill you. You're going to be just like culture. You're going to take on the attributes of culture because Culture is pursuing you as we're here together today. It wants you on their side. It doesn't want you honoring and praising and loving God. We have to be engaged with God. We have to be uh, abiding in him in order 
to love like he's called us to. The other promise, another promise God has for us uh, is that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So scripture teaches us we will conform to the very thing that you love. If you love God, your life is going to represent that. Remember, God transforms us inside. You can have the externals. Doesn't mean you love God. But if your heart is transformed, you will love God. Uh, and this one I really like is Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay? For you will be filled. The promise from God to you and to me is if I pursue him and I'm hungry for him and I'm thirsting for him, my life is going to be different. It's going to be different because I'm going to, the, big, the, the thing that I'm going to want to do most is to please and honor God. I'm going to want to love him first. Out of, out of that love for God, I'm going to be able to love other people radically, unconditionally, and sacrificially. I found this from Kenneth Boa, uh, who is a Christian scholar. Regardless of our natural temperament, it is important to develop true affections, desire, longing, zeal, craving, hunger for God. Um, so we're called to develop those. When, it, when he says develop, I understand that to mean we don't naturally have that in our life. Because you've proclaimed Christ as your Lord and Savior doesn't necessarily follow that you have a hunger and a zeal for the things of Christ. So why, why is all this important? I would say for a couple of reasons. One, uh, if you look on your, your thing there, it talks about the expulsive effect of a powerful new affection. And what that really means is, is we love God. If we learn to love God the way we're called to do that, these obstacles of, to loving God are expulsed. That is, they are gotten rid of they, because our love is what predominates our life. It's the very thing that we cherish. And so we, it is the reality of our love for God reduces the obstacles to loving him. It doesn't mean we're going to do it perfectly. It doesn't mean we're not going to be sinners because we all are. It doesn't mean that we're not going to slip up along the way. But it does mean that we will be doing the very thing God called us to do and love us, love him with our total being. Um, I... Uh, read this also. What, why this is important comes to this point. God saved us to redeem the world for Christ. Okay? He the, you see the evil out there. You see the hatred. You see the vulgarity. You see the obscenity. All that is there. God gave us the tool of love to transform the world to make a difference in the world, to bring lost people to the saving knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. He has charged you and me with doing that very thing. He didn't, leave it, he didn't give it just to Randy to be an evangelist. He gave it to all of us for the purpose of transforming the world. Okay, That's why we're here. That's why we come to worship and praise and hear him. 
So I'll finish with this. There is no lasting social transformation that occurs apart from personal conversion through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? We have the tools to change the world through the love of God, like God called us to, and to love each other by risking something in that process. All right? Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, your word is rich uh, with the commandments of what we are called to do. And sometimes we can just sort of gloss over those and get on the, be bought with the tyranny of the urgent and do the very things uh, that satisfy ourselves in the time uh, right now. But you're calling us to a renewed life and faith work. And Lord, I pray that we will be obedient to the things you've called us to do, live out lives of faith in grace and mercy and peace. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.